Paul's writing in uh, the writings there of Philippians. It's called the joy book, where you have joy. Uh, the reason that it's the joy book is because Paul is uh, taking uh, interest in trying to minister and trying to encourage and trying to strengthen a church and a city that has uh, found itself in a very discouraging state of affairs. It's difficult. Paul comes in with his positive message. He uh, begins to talk about hope to them, hope for the present, hope for the future. His message is hope for maturity. Some of you come on and grow, that when you get knocked down, you're supposed to get up, and spiritual maturity will help you do that. When you get bad news and one more bill comes in you were not expecting, just take hope for the present, have hope for the future, and hope to mature. You'll grow through it and then hope for success. You see, when hope is alive in a person, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, if hope is there, you can beat the odds and obtain the victory that comes through Jesus Christ. I just offered prayer and encouragement to the graduating seniors over in the Family Life Center, and I heard school after school in which they're graduating from and school after school that many of them are going into from medicine to biology to ministry to business and to accounting and on and on and on and on. And I talked to them for just a moment about what it means to have God's favor and to have hope that is in Jesus Christ. We have that hope. Paul, of course, is the very individual to be able to talk to us tonight. He is not a, a robber on the run. He's not a thief in hiding. Paul's address at this moment is in his third missionary journey, and he's in prison. He's in prison, and he writes this book, not missionary journey number one, number two, but number three. It was the Macedonian call that sent him there to begin with. We understand that as he's writing from prison, then his words become more real. For he's not a king that is seated on the throne. He's not an individual that's just won the lottery, so to speak. He's an individual that is in prison for what he did not do, just because they do not like his message. They do not like him as the messenger. And we find that all of hell and every imp from hell and all the demonic forces of darkness work against him. Now, if you're counting the wins and the losses, you would say, I do not want to serve the God that Paul is serving because it appears to me that he's giving 100% effort. It appears to me that every time he can, he's taking the high road. It appears to me that every time he gets a Dear John letter in the mail that one of his supporters have decided not to support him, he seems to rise up. He seems to say, hey, I, I don't allow that to, to bring hopelessness into my life and writing from prison. He's excited. He did not realize the magnitude of his very first uh, convert, Lydia, the lady of purple, the individual that was a businesswoman from the word go, and that was his very first convert. And out of ashes and out of pain and out of imprisonment, the Philippian jailer was also saved. So you see, out of that, Paul at least could look back to Lydia and say, hey, I remember the day that she came to faith. 
I remember that when I got out of that cell by miraculous deliverance that that Philippian jailer gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And he knew that now he's in his third missionary journey. He's in prison. He has something that he can look to and say, God, you showed up. But you and I live in a tumultuous world. If you listen recently of the dismissal of the FBI director and you turn to one news channel, you're going to hear their reports about what happened and how bad it was. You can listen to that same news channel maybe three weeks ago and their message about the FBI director is different than it is now. You can go to another station, another major network, and you're going to get the information here. You can go to the Fox News, and you're going to get information there. And after a while, you're going to sit down and say, I am so sick and tired of all of this. It just seems like it's over and over and over and over and over again. But when you remember what God has done, you remember the book, it really doesn't matter, generally speaking, what's happening in the here and now, because he's already written the end of the chapter and said, hey, one day soon, the skies are going to open, the rapture is going to take place, and you are going to be gone. Somebody say, amen. You have that hope in Christ Jesus. Paul understands that. He realizes that time is short. It's his third missionary journey. Philippians is where he said, hey, I, I want you to know I've, I've obtained a goal. I've gained the ground that I needed a ground. I realized that my end is near. And Paul was not an old man, whatever that is. He knew that the church had been struggling. They were poor. They didn't have enough money. He knew that they were stressed out. He knew, of course, that they were facing satanic adversity, as we do. He knew that, that they, were, they were rich in spiritual effectiveness. But what is rich in spiritual effectiveness if you can't pay the light bill? Are you with me? What did it say? I got all of Jesus I need. But I tell you, I'm, I'm sick unto death. I've got all of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I can shout to the highest heaven. But I've got challenges and lost my job. God, what about that? You see, God never told us to deny reality, did he? Well, that doesn't exist. That's not really real. Yes, it is. Why do you have to be afraid of denying what reality is when in you is the power of the Holy Ghost to be more than a conqueror in your life. And the greater the challenge, the greater hand that God then is required to come in and meet your need. So Paul's kind of giving them because it's the book, is the book that we call the joy book, and he's giving them an encouragement and hope. And here's what I, I brought it about in Philippians 3.12. I call it lighten up, lighten up, lighten up. Uh, not that I've already attained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, I'm, I'm telling you, I haven't gained everything. I'm not reached that point that I, I feel like I've, I've obtained everything that God wants to be, but neither am I going to let the enemy of my soul, nor am I going to let a centurion Roman soldier 
nor am I going to let a disgruntled follower get under my skin and get so down as a result of my circumstances that I cannot enjoy my relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? You get to choose how you respond to today. If in your mind, between your ears, you awakened and you turned the news on and it's agony on end and we know all about that, and then you fail to reach into your, uh, your Bible and begin to read some joy news, that is the way your day is going to be. But if you said, you know what, God, the bigger the problems, the greater you are, and I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy what I'm going through. I'm going to shout right on through this trouble, and I'm going to believe that you care for me, and I have the hope that comes in Christ Jesus. The lady came to her husband and said, oh, my Jesus, I... I, somebody stole all my credit cards. He said, what do you mean? She said, someone has taken and stolen all my credit cards. He said, well, have you called the police yet? No, I have not. He got on the phone. He went to the other room. Uh, why do we go to the other room when we get ready to talk? We get ready to talk and somebody's in the room. You ever notice that? People just walk away. He said, hello, police? Yeah. I have a report I'd like to give. My wife's credit cards were all stolen. He said, I've gone online and checked the statements, et cetera, et cetera. It's been, it's been a half a day. He said, so I'm reporting it. He said, oh, by the way, take your time because whoever stole them is spending less money on them than she did when she had them. <laughs> Somebody said, I've had a tough day. You've got to have more than that. Lighten up. Turn to your neighbor and say, lighten up. Lighten up. You see, the enemy will beat you down. I deal with people like that all the time. We never, you're just never great enough, good enough, smart enough, fast enough. Just never there. And the fact that Satan will always remind you, and he has me on my whole life, what you are not. You ever notice that? What you are not. How is it that I can't have a good, happy marriage like I see that person over there with the, just the happiest marriage in the world? Well, we hope that's true, but they could be faking it. Are you all with me? In other words, when you begin to compare what you have not compared to what you think other people have, you're going to be in trouble from the get-go. You take advantage of what Jesus is in your life, what you are not. And here's what else I know. The devil is not alone. He has a lot of people that may be under your influence that will help him out trying to push you down. That creates stress, and it will render you miserable. Miserable. Think about it. Miserable. And when that happens, every part of your life is adversely affected. People know when you're not happy. Most people, you go to work. Your friends know when you're not happy. But, and then if you begin to give excuses as to why you're not happy, friend, you are just accommodating the continuation of your unhappiness. Well, how do you get over that? Here's what the Bible says. Find you an altar. Get the Word of God. It is life. It's power. It's anointing. And say to the enemy, I'm clocking out until I get in that Word, until I pray, until I fast, until I hear from heaven. I'm going to be right here, God, because I need your touch in my life. I need it. It's important. Giving yourself permission to take a break against the struggles that you have 
my friend, will cause you to love God and love yourself more than you could imagine. It will. A woman took her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor said, your husband is suffering a very serious infection. The husband said and realized that they were talking, but he said he was hard of hearing. And he said, what did he say? His wife said, he says that you are really sick. The doctor went on talking to the wife. He says, but there might be hope. He apparently has been under so much stress He needs that stress reduced. Each morning, I want you to prepare for him a very healthy breakfast. I want you to be nice. I want you to be pleasant. I want you to be kind. I want you to discuss with him what he'd like for lunch and dinner and make him his favorite meal. I don't want you to discuss your problems with him because he can't take it. Don't yell. Don't be snooty. Don't argue with him. And most importantly, just cater to your husband's every whim. And if you can do this for your precious husband, for six months to a year, I believe that your husband will have a complete recovery. And the husband said, what did he say? And his wife said, he said, you're going to (laughs) die. God chooses not to condemn us and if God chooses not to condemn us why should we ever let anything or anyone else condemn us do you know who you are redeemed by the grace of God that the son of the living God died on the cross to liberate you and I from all kind of challenges condemned The book of James, James writing 3, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Say amen. You may not be proud of it, but we do. And if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. And so what I'm asking you to do is what Paul is really endeavoring to ask these people. Give yourself the opportunity to embrace life. There's more to live for than there is to die for. There's more to celebrate than there are disappointments. There are more things in your life that you can look back and say, look what the Lord has done that's far greater than the present turmoil that you might be facing or the disappointment that's there. You might be saying, oh, but my heart hurts and and I'm just weary and, uh, and on and on and on. But listen, friend, We all go through those struggles, don't we? But then shift into that arena and say, but God, I'm going to let up on that because I believe that the anointing flows in my life. The past, is it a friend or foe for you? Paul writes, brothers, I don't consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, 
But one thing I do is forgetting what is behind. What is behind if it's negative? I read that 30% of the average person's anxiety, 30% of the average person's anxiety is focused on things about the past. And that will never change. The past is the past. It's done. 30% anxiety is the past. You can't live there. There are people that have gone through challenging circumstances that I know after pastoring here for 28 years in the lives of many individuals that have gone through enough stuff, enough challenge, enough disappointment, enough heartbreak that they ought to have checked out a long time ago, figuratively speaking, and following Jesus. If they were begin to compare, look at this. Look what I asked God for in that to pray, and God didn't show up. As a matter of fact, he didn't show up, and it got worse, and, and I had a great loss as a result of it. I, 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 I was faithful, I'm telling you, in all kinds of ministries at the church, but look what's happened to me. I've been a giver. I've been faithful in attendance. I've tried to live right. What is the use? Why not just quit? I see a lot of people, a lot of people that, that seem to just don't even really care about God. Well, they got a little dab that will do you. But they don't even come close. And it appears that in their circumstances, they've got it going on. Why my kid? Why my marriage? Why my business? Why my job? Jim Cimbala, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, reread it. It's a great book. You know Jim Cimbala, Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. Tells the story of a lady, her name is Roberta. She tells the story in her own words. At 16, she left home and moved into New York. She found a man that was, she was living with that was twice her age. He was smarter. He was more savvy on the streets. He saw in her an easy mark. She came from a broken home. She had zero hope. She had no vivid godly example, and he was virtually the scum of the earth. Scum loves scum. He opened his arms to her and got her into drugs, into abuse, into heroin and cocaine. He gave her a lifestyle that he only benefited from. And one night after they were together shooting up on a rooftop trying to be hid, he thought she was dead. And he took off and left her there to die. But fortunately, apparently, God had a better plan and someone else went up on the rooftop and discovered her and called 911 and they took her to the hospital and they were able to treat her. Her feelings of worthlessness, her desire to die. Why did you save me? Her bruises on her body, her drug-centered life. She found it'll only be found in another man. And she went from one relationship to the other that all had to do 
with her drugs. Finally, she met one that took her underground where she could shoot up and share needles with 20 and 30 people at a time. After all, it's one big happy high. And eventually her latest boyfriend, they were out of money. The electricity was cut off. Utilities were off. They were selling what assets that they had for near nothing, the furniture, everything to support their drug habit. But she remembered home. She remembered her mother in Fort Lauderdale. She called her up and said, Mom, may I come home? And that mother, thank God, was a gracious mother. Her mother was shocked when she saw her daughter. She couldn't believe that it was the same girl. Her mother got her some help and placed her in a program, and she was accepted Narcotics Anonymous. She became clean and kicked the habit and went back to New York. And then everything crashed down when she thought she had a job and had to get a physical. The doctor said, you are HIV positive. After more than two years of being clean, she returned to crack cocaine with a vengeance and drugs like never before. And after a whole week of cocaine and alcohol that should have killed her, HIV positive, no money, no love relationship, she remembered something. She remembered a woman in that apartment that lived on the same floor that constantly asked her to go to church with her. She went to Brooklyn Tabernacle. The girl came to and thought, I'm going to go. It was Tuesday. She really didn't know what night it was, but she went. And on that Tuesday night, with nowhere else to turn, when the altar call was given, I said, when the altar call was given. Let me say it again. When the altar call was given. She made her way in a maze to the altar, and God miraculously, thank you, Holy Spirit, he miraculously, oh, hallelujah, he miraculously reached down and totally delivered her and saved her and cleansed her. There's several things out of that story, and I'll continue in a moment. Thank God for a woman in an inconspicuous place living out her life that saw it important to invite somebody to church, not knowing whether they would ever come, but at least she did. That memory was logged in. Thank God for a mom who did not take the judgmental state and say, you can't come home. You are not welcome here. You, I told you when you left, don't you ever come back. Thank God for a mom who stood up for that. And then thank God for a church, hallelujah, that said, we love you. Here's the word. And just kind of bowed your heads. And, and we want you. Thank you for coming. Everybody kiss and greet one another. And we're going to see you later. Turn them 
music on thank God for a church that says if there's ever a time we need to give altar calls, it's in the contemporary society in which we live today. I am not bent on the fact that we need to get so far away from saying I don't want to hurt or intimidate people. If one person can come into that altar and give their heart to Jesus Christ, my friend, I'm saying Almighty God, Holy Spirit, do what you've come to do. That altar, they gathered around her and began to pray for her. But not only that, Jim Cimbala, of course, in the ministry realizes she needed that help, and they embraced her and took her in. Today, she still heads up a ministry there at Brooklyn Tabernacle called New Beginnings. She is still fighting with HIV in remission, steady as she goes. She has that weekly outreach to drug abusers, and God is using her life to bring hope to other people just like her. You see, I'm suggesting to you that's her past. But her life has changed because of one miracle. Friend, I do not want us to get into a state of apathy, nor do you. Do I want you to get into a state of apathy? I want you to believe that God can save anytime, anywhere. I want you to believe that God can take your life and turn it around in a moment's notice. But if you choose to live in that past, if you choose to live under what happened and you continually keep record, it will support your discouragement. It will accommodate your spiritual immaturity. It will support your depression. It will create problems for you physically. It will develop misery in your life and in the lives of those around you. And it will stop the beauty of the future that God has for you. Go back, check back in and lay it in the lap of Jesus Christ and then do what? Push forward. Say that with me. Push forward. Push forward. Philippians 3, straining toward what is ahead. Press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If you believe you ought to trust God, say amen. amen. Trust God. Say it again. If you believe and trust God, say amen. Does that trust have a timer on it? Does it have a timer on it? If anyone puts a timer on your trust factor, where does that come from? Satan. If anyone tries to rob you of that positive trust factor, that comes from hell. Trust me, trust must be extremely valuable if the enemy's always endeavoring to attack it. And we're told to forget the past and push forward. Share with you just a couple of points quickly. Place behind you anything that might hinder you spiritually or emotionally. You know what those are. Let forgiveness be the order of the day. Let forgiveness be the order of the day. Let go of unmet expectations. Give yourself a break. Lighten up. Come to terms with the hurt and indifference in your own heart. Remember, it may, you may think it's the situation or the person or the circumstance, but it is the devil that harmed you. Understand that. Provide mental and emotional room. Get this. Provide mental and emotional room for a new focus. And then pray Pray, 
pray and pray. And once you've pushed forward, here's what Paul says in Philippians 3, no, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. It's a repeat of our scripture, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain, work, sweat, persevere to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us heavenward. I was going through some of the books that I've read, and one was the book Less Roll. You remember that that was a book that was written by Lisa Beamer. It fit perfectly. Her husband was Todd Beamer, who died with many others in United 93, crashed in an open field in Pennsylvania. She said, I got a call that something was going on about the Twin Towers. And I was looking at the news station, and it was talking about there's another, there's a, there's a, a fourth airplane and it took off from New Jersey. And she said, to begin with, when it said it took off from New Jersey, because that's where Todd, I know, took off from. He left before it was even daylight. But they said that plane was bound for another city, Philadelphia. She said, I didn't really know where he was going. She says, and then I turned to another network, and they said, no, this one took off in New Jersey, and it was headed to Los Angeles. And I knew then that was the plane that Todd was on. My cell phone rang, and I ran to it. I was sinking. I couldn't hear Tried again, I couldn't hear. I get to it, fade out. Then a brief conversation. And death gripped me by the throat. Why me? We just have a newborn baby with two other children. We're a positive family, we're a church family. How could this be? How could this be from a group of individuals so filled with hate? They'd want to take my husband's life, my, my provider. The man that stood strong, the man who cuddled me, the man who thought I was the queen of his life. And then she wrote this in her reflections. Slowly, I began to understand that the plans of God has for us don't include just good things, but the whole array of human events. The prospering he talks about in the book of Jeremiah is often the outcome of a bad 
event. I remember my mom saying that many people look for miracles, things that in their human minds fix difficult situations. Many miracles, however, are not a change to the normal course of human events. They're found in God's ability and desire to sustain and nurture people through even the worst situations. Somewhere along the way, I stopped demanding that God fix the problem in my life and started to be thankful for his presence as I endured them. That's a whole encyclopedia volume of wisdom. Paul said, here's how you do that. You decide to move, and you place all your might, and you make your mind up, and you allow your mind and your spirit to be in unity with God's promises toward that desired goal of healing, that desired goal of being closer to Jesus, that desired goal of saying, and in your heart of hearts, thy will be done, not my will, that desired goal to say, God, as long as you are with me, I am captivated by everything that I need. Most of us in this room focus upon eternity. That's wonderful, but should the Lord tarry, and so far he has. There are many promises and goals and blessings that are right there, just right there, that we can enjoy right now. If we just say, God, I think I'm just gonna, I think I'm just gonna lighten up a little bit and, and not be so deeply concerned of what may not be happening right now. I don't enjoy just moments with you, with my worship music and my Bible. I'm going to begin to celebrate the next several days everything that I have. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to take that part of the past that brings grief to me. I'm just going to put that in a little box. And I'm going to put it right there on the altar. And then, God, when I've done that, in my celebration... With all my might, I'm going to come to understand that you know more about my life and my future than I do. And I'm going to quit being so demanding about what you've not done for me or what you've not given to me. And I want you to know if just one more breath you give me and one more step that takes me forward, that will be enough for me. Amen? Let's stand and give the Lord a clap offering. Would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Quit focusing on the things that bring you material 
assets. Quit focusing on the things that bring what you believe to be the answer. Quit focusing on the things that you think are wrong. Quit focusing on those things that you think should happen. And focus on me. I am jealous of you. I love you. And I do have a plan that will bring glory to your heavenly Father and will give you more satisfaction than you could even imagine if you just focus on me. We're going to sing in the presence of Jehovah. That's my favorite song, one of them. I have a lot. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? And would you repeat this prayer, dear Jesus? I know I'm not right in my heart towards you. I've been rude and belligerent. I've been angry. I've allowed myself to get into a pit that I don't need to be in. I ask you to reach down and cleanse my heart and purify me. I desire to be holy. I want to be like you. I want to be an individual that you have no doubt as to how much I love you. So right now, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my future as your will dictates in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the deal. Could have been the same altar call that Jim Simile gave. That young lady responded. She had to respond because she realized, I need something. If God's speaking to you and you need something, then while we're singing this song, you come. I'll give the benediction in a moment. But here's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. Some of you should be in this altar long ago and you're still fighting the same challenge for a long time. But you've never broken through to be obedient, to just humble yourself and say, God, tonight I know I don't need to walk out those doors without being obedient to you. And if that's you, God is still holding in reserve what he's had for you for a long time. But you just wouldn't do what was necessary to receive it. Let him bestow upon you his gift tonight.